What up, world? Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Today's episode is also a latest edition of Mailbag Monday, weekly mailbag segment answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. If this is your first Mailbag Monday or you just want to get involved and you may have forgotten, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can just send me a tweet, tag it as Mailbag, and I'll add it to my handy-dandy Word doc. Or you can watch the skies around 9 a.m. Pacific time on Monday mornings. I will send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet, I'll get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can just email me. The address is LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. That's LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. This is the second week we're doing two mailbag shows. Mailbag Monday is so popular that it has overflowed. I don't want these to be 45 minutes or an hour long. I want them to be short, get in, get out, you know, 25, 35 minutes of your day and check back later in the week. So we're going to have two mailbags this week. This Mailbag Monday that I record on Monday nights and post on Tuesdays. And another episode that we are calling Special Delivery. Thanks in part to listener Tip who sent in the idea for the name. The Special Delivery pod will be later in the week. It'll be another Mailbag episode. So if you do not hear your question in this one, don't fret. It's coming later in the week, I promise. This week, most likely that Mailbag is going to come on Wednesday morning. But some scheduling things could could happen. So just check your feed. You should, you know, check your feed every day. We got plenty of episodes each week. That's why I want to keep them short so you can listen to a bunch and not be overburdened by one particularly long episode of Locked on Blazers that you want to work your way through. All right, those are the two ways to get involved. Tweet at me at Mike G. Rich. Email the show LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Let's get into it. The first question comes from Sko Zers who asks, if you are Neil Olshay, are you keeping CJ, Gary Trent Jr., Anthony Simons all on the roster past the trade deadline? What do you think Neil will do himself? Seeing too much talent between those three to keep them all around if we want to win a championship this season. Justin Oslin at Justin Oslin7 on Twitter asks, what would Mike Richmond do with Gary Trent Jr. moving forward? Let him walk? Sign and trade this offseason? Sign him and look to move CJ? Sign him to play as normal and just tie up all the cash to three guards? So for, um, for whatever reason, Gary Trent Jr.'s future is in the zeitgeist today. Uh, uh, Skozers and Justin asked and there's a couple more in this first segment also questions about sort of the future of Gary Trent Jr. and as it pertains to CJ and Ant's development etc etc um so let's let's talk about Gary Trent Jr. I'm not exactly sure why this is in the zeitgeist now like I know he's playing really well averaging 20 a game since since CJ has been out um he looks like an NBA starter and deserves a bunch of playing time but he was he deserved a bunch of playing time before this so um I'm glad that I got to answer this as Neil Olshay and as myself. So uh, what do I think Neil does? I think Neil keeps all three past the trade deadline. Um, seeing too much talent between those three to keep them on the roster if he wanted to win a championship this season. I, d- I just disagree with that line of thinking. Is Anthony Simons really going to bring you back something that, that guarantees a title shot or, or drastically improves your title chances? Maybe. Certainly maybe. But I, 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 I'm a little bit skeptical. Um that's maybe just too generous of a read for my like personal vision of, of this Blazers team. But uh, Neil's not going to trade his guys. I don't think he'll do it. Uh, I think he believes in who he drafts. He thinks he can build this crew through the draft. Uh, 
in general, trading Gary Trent Jr. as heading into his uh, expiring year isn't particularly valuable because the other team is paying for the right to pay Gary Trent Jr. That's what the trade is. They're not necessarily trading for him. They're trading for the right to pay him. And Anthony Simons, while um, impressive and talented, just doesn't have sort of the consistent level of production I think nets you a trade. CJ McCollum is good, um, and he's Neil's guy, and Neil has paid him to be his guy through 2024. He's going to, I imagine, he sticks around for the long haul. What would I do? I would probably just pay them because unless a really a really intriguing trade comes around for CJ McCollum, I think um, I think the mistake that f- that maybe we're making right now, we being sort of the collective watchers of Portland Trailblazers, are uh, is that you don't is that you can sort of like. M- you don't need all this talent. Like if you're going to win a championship, you need to maximize your talent. You need to maximize your depth. You need a couple different parts. You probably just, you, unless you're trading CJ for a, like a, a bona fide all-star, a real star, I just think um, it's your best bet to be as good as you possibly can in the now is to just keep the guys you have on, like in, in this specific case, keep these gentlemen that you have on the team. Um, I also think the Blazers championship window is relatively small. It's a couple seasons. So I'm not I'm not pl- I'm not Neil Olshay. I'm not playing the long game and worrying about cap implications in 2025. I don't give a shit about that. I'm just going to give Gary Trent Jr. a whole bunch of money and try to be as good as possible in 2022. Like that's that is what Mike Richmond um goes for. Uh, I would explore the trade market for both CJ and Gary Trent. Uh, certainly a sign and trade if the right deal comes up and you can get a bigger wing, a bigger talented wing. But what Gary Trent Jr. does is really valuable. Um, I think what I would want to see for myself and I think what Neil will want to see going forward is can Gary Trent play with Damon CJ? Like we just haven't seen it very much. And when CJ is healthy, I think you want to play those three guys together and see what that looks like. And um, if that group is just too small on the perimeter. Speaking of that, Family Twine at Family Twine on Twitter asks, when CJ and Nurk come back, do you see a lineup of with Gary and Mello being able to close games against top tier teams in the league? Or does one of them have to sit? Yeah, this is really this is an interesting one, right? This is goes back to like I want to see Dame, CJ, and Gary play all together. In general, Stotts has tried to put length on big ball handlers, see Luka Doncic on Monday night. So um in general, I think he wants to keep one of Covington or Derek Jones Jr. on the floor. Preferably for me, it would be Covington because he's a better offensive player. Derek Jones Jr. is um, kind of a kind of a, a minus on offense right now, quite frankly. So um, I think I think you were going to have to make tough decisions, and I think it's usually going to be choosing. I think it's you know Dame, C.J. Nurk, and then choosing between Gary or Mello to play alongside uh, Robert Covington. Uh, for me. <laughs> I might go Gary, but uh, Melo's been really good and he can bully people. He has like um, a, a, a specific skill set to take advantage of mismatch, which Gary Trent Jr. is just a straight-up knockdown shooter, but he's not sort of dominating mismatch physically the way Melo is. But I think in general, one of the, you do have to make the choice. And I think um, unless Gary proves he can guard up and guard bigger wings, but but I, I think you're right. You do have to choose between Gary and Melo sitting in, in crunch time family twine next question comes from jonathan sass at, at j sass or maybe sassy on twitter who asks we're starting to see the blazers working as a team putting in enough defensive hustle to win and distributing the offense to where dame doesn't need to go nuclear without cj to win does inserting cj back into this lineup cause a gary and ant regression 
Uh, depends on what you mean by regression. I think Ant's going to play less minutes, probably, most likely, when CJ's back. Uh, I think Gary could see his minutes get docked a slight bit. But the challenge for Stotts is try to get, is get Gary on the floor. Figure that shit out, is get Gary on the floor. Uh, because he's really good. And he's... Uh, You've got to figure out how much you lose by having Gary eat into Derek Jones Jr.'s minutes. I think that's the that's the question you have to ask and answer. Um, regression, I don't think so. Like, I don't think Gary's going to get worse. What he does is not—he's um, like a good complementary part. He can score off one, two dribble moves. He's a great spot-up shooter. Uh, he doesn't need a lot of offense. Like, he doesn't need to run a ton, ton of pick-and-rolls to be an effective offensive player. He does need touches and shots, um, and he might not shoot, you know, 12, 15 times a game, but— I don't think he'll regress. I don't think CJ sort of kills what he does. It just will uh, slightly reduce his opportunity. So it kind of depends on what you mean by regression. And Ant's going to play less when CJ's when CJ's healthy because um, he's the four, of, of the guards. He's the worst one. He's number four on the list. That's just the truth. Next question comes from Kyle, who asks, "What are your thoughts on Gary starting and CJ coming off the bench? A lot like what the Spurs used to do with Milo Ginobili starting a three and D wing and having a Swiss Army knife to run crunch time minutes and lead the bench. So CJ already leads the bench. Like the way the rotation works, he goes out early." Uh, you know, six minutes into the first quarter and then comes back at the start of the second and does lead the bench unit. So the Blazers were playing zero minutes at their best without Dame, one of Dame and CJ on the court, which I like. I've been a proponent of. They should continue to do that. So uh, bringing CJ off the bench doesn't give him like, quote unquote, more control over the bench unit. He was already getting that. Uh, I kind of like this idea. I don't think it'll happen, um, but I can see the I can see the sort of basic reasoning for it is that Gary's a better defensive player and that you uh, you sort of get more defense in the in a in the front in the first unit rather excuse me and don't sacrifice much offense because Gary has proved that he can provide at least some offense different in the way that CJ does it but certainly a lot of offensive production and. You kind of give CJ free reign to re- to really run a team and with the second unit, like truly, 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 as he as he would play only only minutes with Damian Lillard at the end of the first half and end of the game. So um, I don't think it'll happen. I don't think it's like this great solution sort of unlocks the Blazers. Like I don't, but I'm I'm not against it. Like I think it would. It, I think it's an interesting experiment, and I think it could. Um, I would see. I could see why you would do it. All right, let's come back in the second segment. We talk a lot about, everyone want to know about Gary Trent Jr. I told y'all, this was Gary, Gary Trent Jr. heavy first segment. But we got more questions. We'll come back and answer those in the second segment. But before we get there, let's talk about rockauto.com a little bit more. Y'all know rockauto.com. It's the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for 20 years. And you can go to rockauto.com right now and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They got everything you need from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps to motor oil to even new carpet. And whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks. And it's all delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and it's remarkably easy to navigate. So you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specifications, and the prices you prefer. And oh, those prices, that's the best part because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low and they're the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? You don't have to do that. You can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way, they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Here at Lockdown Blazers, we've got you covered everything you need with Portland basketball. But you might be asking, Mike, what about the rest of the sports? 
And I'll tell you, great news. The Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there because they've created a show, Locked On Today, hosted by the great Peter Bukowski with all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. So subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. All right, let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Guido, Guido Pinamonte. What up, Guido? At Guido Pinamonte on Twitter, who asks, what will be the parade route? Okay, so I've been debating. I think there's two routes, Guido. Here's where the Blazers guaranteed championship in July. Book it. They've won, they've won four straight games. They're fifth in the West. They're 100% going to win the championship. Uh, you either start at Pioneer Square and you meander up Broadway across the Broadway Bridge and end at the Rose Quarter for sort of the celebration and the speeches and the yada 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 or you start at the Rose Quarter and everyone gathers at the stadium and then you make your way in the reverse across the Broadway Bridge down Broadway into Pioneer Square where there'll be speeches and the and they'll show the show the uh, trophy, the Larry O'Brien trophy, and et cetera, et cetera. My, my feeling on this is that you go reverse and you end at Pioneer Square because it's, it's a larger and, and wider and for holding, holding, um, large gatherings, it just, it's easier to pull off, but it also might make sense as a meeting spot. So I think that's your parade route. And I will let, uh, the city planners figure that out from, uh, figure that out for me. But yeah, guaranteed hundred percent chance Blazers win the championship. Sorry to LeBron James, you punk. Next question comes from Tim, who asks, is this four-game winning streak sustainable? Is momentum a thing? So I think my hottest take in the world, like I'm not a big hot take guy. If you listen to this podcast, you know I don't really have hot takes. I have kind of like, uh, whatever, nuanced opinions on stuff, and I can be a little wishy-washy on saying, maybe that's true, but I don't agree. But my like truly hottest take is that momentum doesn't exist. If momentum existed, you couldn't snatch it back and forth. Um, what you're seeing is guys play with confidence and guys, um, when you're seeing the thing that you think is momentum, you're seeing guys play with confidence. You're seeing guys, um, you know, think they think they can do something and then go do it because they're feeling confident. They're feeling, um, good about their past production leading to future production. But if the Blazers snatch the momentum late in the game on Monday night and Luka Doncic hits a three pointer, did the Mavericks get the momentum back? Where did the momentum go? How does it change hands so quickly? If the Blazers have seized it in the final three minutes, how can Luka Doncic just hit a three pointer and make it? If momentum was a thing, why didn't Robert Covington play better defense on that final possession? If momentum is a thing, how did Jalen Brunson almost get the rebound? Uh, momentum is—I don't believe it exists. I think it's—I think it's false. I—I I think. Um, it's a nice thing to explain how stuff happens. I've had a lot of arguments with people that think this is my stupidest opinion. So you may be one of them. I look forward to your emails and tweets, but I don't think momentum exists. It's not a thing. In any case, is the four game winning streak sustainable, Tim? Hell yeah. I mean, like they're not playing defense above their capabilities. They're getting reasonable production from Gary Trent Jr. Like, I don't think he's playing beyond his abilities. Damian Lillard isn't scoring 50 a night. In fact, he's doing a really good job of sort of letting other guys help. Six guys in double figures and uh, last night against the Mavericks, and that is not particularly uncommon. They've done it four times in their last seven games. So I don't think it's it's totally unsustainable. Maybe, maybe Carmelo Anthony is playing a little bit better than he's capable of, but I also think he's settled into being a little bit smarter in how he does stuff. Um, you know, he's he's going to have tough nights because that's how age works, but I don't think this is crazy unsustainable. I think the Blazers are playing well. Uh, 
you know, they beat some bad teams, Orlando and Cleveland, but they've also beat some good teams in Philly and uh, Philly and Dallas. So, yeah, I think this is a totally sustainable thing. I, they're going to lose at some point, um, so don't get super upset. But they're they're pretty good, and they seem to have figured it out. If whatever whatever they needed to figure out, they seem ha- they seem to have. And I, um, they're still a bad defensive team, but they are finding ways to get it done, and that is that is their secret moving forward. Find ways to get it done until they get healthy. Next question comes from Dr. J, who asks, for all the grief we give Neil Olshay for some of his moves, can we please give him a shout-out for the fact that he got Ennis Cantor from Mario Hazonia? I mean, imagine if we where we are if we don't make that move. Yeah, I mean, Ennis Cantor has been awesome. Has been awesome. He's the best offensive rebounder in the league. He's still only playing about half the game, 25 minutes a night, even without Nurk. Like, he's not, they're not overtaxing him and asking him to do too much. Uh they're getting okay minutes from Harry Giles. Stotts has not been afraid to go small with Robert Covington playing center alongside Carmelo Anthony on the front line. Like they've they Cantor has um Cantor has really, 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 really helped this team. More on that in a second, I promise you. Next question from Greg is why don't we feed Ennis Cantor the ball on the low post more often when the matchups are favorable? If he gets doubled, he kicks the ball back outside or perhaps to a cutter. If he doesn't get doubled, the odds are good that he'll score. It's old fashioned, but I think it would be effective. So it kind of depends on what you mean by favorable. Um, certainly, against straight up centers, Cantor is capable of it, but I wouldn't call it a favorable. If he ever gets a switch or a small four on him, give him the ball. He's going to score. He'll pound them inside. He's so strong and he has such good touch. Um, he can really take advantage of those moments. The idea that he's going to kick the ball outside or to a cutter, is, I, I'm going to push back on that one a little bit because he's not. he can only pass with his right hand. One thing to watch with Ennis Cantor, he cannot pass left-handed, so he can only pass moving in one direction. He can throw some two-handed passes, but... Um, he, he can only pass with one with his dominant hand. And the Blazers don't cut. <laughs> There's only one dude on the Blazers who cuts. It's Derek Jones Jr. So if he's not in the game, there's a lot of guys kind of spacing and standing around. Um, so it's not it's it's not as easy to throw it in the post and he'll kick it back out. That's not his um that's not his peak skill. Nurk is better at that than Ennis. But yeah, I think if 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 Ennis has a mismatch in the post, a non-center on him in the post, I say give him the ball because he's been really good. But the Blazers' problem is an offense. Like the choice between having Dame try to score and throwing the ball into Ennis Cantor. Give me Dame. Greg also asks, I think Ennis has earned a spot on the long-term roster with Portland. We all know Nurk is going to get hurt again. Wow, hater. We need Ennis. Do you think he'll be offered a contract for future seasons with the Blazers? If not, why not? Uh, The only limitation would be like, I think he's comfortable with his role. So it's like, does he want to go get one last kind of payday? He obviously took, um, you know, he waived some his trade kicker, I believe, to, to come to Portland. He sacrificed a little bit of money. So he's probably going to have a similar role wherever he would end up. So it's more just like, do how much money does he want? And is he willing to, uh, is he willing to sort of continue to work with the Blazers to with their cap situation to make it happen? And do the Blazers think that maybe a mid-level money down the line is better used at uh, on a wing spot? You know, that would be the choice. It's like, do you, do you, do they say, you know, we can find a center or Zach is our backup center for the future or whatever, just hypothetically, and we'll, and we, you know, we want to spend this money that it would otherwise go to Cantor on a wing. I think that would be the limiting factor. Next question comes from KJM underscore bball at bball kjm on twitter who asks who is our second best player who's healthy right now so this is a fascinating question to me kjm i i i kind of buried it here because we'd already talked about gary trent jr and we'd already talked about ennis Cantor. i didn't bury it i placed it lower down in the show uh, because we we'd already talked about gary trent jr who i think has been really 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 good really consistent and um 
shows he's a starting level guard in the league. Um, and Ennis Cantor, who's been a rock for the Blazers, just a really, really dependable uh, big man. And so who's their second best player? I think it's a debate between those two guys. And this might be controversial, but I think it's Ennis Cantor. You could make a really compelling case for Gary Trent Jr. And in fact, when I first kind of penciled the show out, Gary Trent was my choice because of uh, the scoring, 20 points per game, the the efficiency from the outside shooting almost 50% from three over the last couple of weeks. He just, he's a, he's a bulldog defensively. Like he's not an elite, elite defender, but he's really competitive and he gets after it. And the Blazers just need more dudes who play at that sort of frequency. But Cantor's dependability. He's not a great defender in space, but against bigs that want to go right at him, he can guard them. Ask Andre Drummond. Uh, I know Joel Embiid had some big games against uh, against Portland, but they didn't have to crazy double-team him because they kind of just said, you can cook and we'll let Ennis guard you and you're not going to score 50. You're only going to score like 40. Um I think Ennis has been their second best player. I think his dependability and his size and his just his ability to rebound and keep plays alive, his ability to rebound the defensive end. I I'm hesitant to not say Gary Trent, but I think it's Ennis. Love the question though. I think this is uh, really up for debate. Let's in fact, if you have if you have a strong opinion on this, email me lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. We will have a maybe we'll have a whole show about who the Blazers' second best players if we get enough enough good opinions. Again, this is healthy. Like second best player currently available on the roster. Thanks for the great question, KJM. Next question comes from Adelai. Adelai asks, I've been as big a stats critic as anybody. However, he's making me acknowledge culture, that's in quotes, as being important to team success. His players always seem to support him and play hard for him with very little, if any, moaning about playing time strategy or, well, anything. The fact that this decidedly decimated team is even remotely in contention can in large part be attributed to the positive attitude Stotts has nurtured throughout his tenure. Do you think Stotts may be onto something that eludes other coaches? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Like, I think uh, plenty of coaches understand that, like, the soft stuff, that, like, X's and O's are incredibly important, but um, just motivating dudes to buy in and get Getting guys to, you know, instilling belief in guys is 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 the part of coaching that really matters. Um, you know, I think what Greg Popovich is really good at, you know, probably the best coach of the era, uh, is that he gets guys to agree to sort of see the system as like, if we execute what I want us to run, we will kick ass during the regular season because we will just execute people to death. We'll just run our stuff. And I don't think that's what Stotts' strength is. I think Stotts' strength is being like, hey, we're good enough to beat them. Don't get don't get down on yourselves yet. Like stay stay committed to it. Not in the sort of X's and O's execution, but just in the like, if we play hard, we're talented enough to be there. Stotts has always overachieved with he's done better overachieving with less talented rosters than he has with meeting expectations with talented rosters so um i think this is just his wheelhouse i don't think this is something that um maybe other coaches haven't this isn't like his superpower over other coaches this is just kind of like the magic of that all good coaching sort of seems to seems to tap into is getting guys to um play above their abilities and getting guys to sort of buy into the team concept. And Stotts has done a, whenever Stotts seems to have a team that is undermanned or, or counted out, he has, he has typically done better with those groups. That has been, that has been a, a, a consistent theme out of his career. Now give him too many, give him a lot of good players like at the beginning of this season and the boo birds might be coming out a little bit louder. All right, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show with more of your questions. But before we do that, I want to tell y'all about Bet Online. Bet Online 
is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. NBA's, we got NBA games every night. College basketball is rolling. The NHL's in full swing. And if you're not if you're not looking to bet on sports, Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. They got real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online also has you covered for all the news, scores, and it's the best way to place your bets online. And it's free to sign up. So go to betonline.ag on your computer or your mobile device and sign up today using the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDON at betonline.ag for a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked on Blazers. Shout out to Dre Slaps, who makes all the music for the show. Support local artist Dre is a Portland musician, and you can find a link to all his work, his merch, and his music in the episode description for this very episode, so make sure you check it out. All right, let's close out the show with more of your questions. This next one comes from Tanner Russ, at Tanner Russ7 on Twitter, who asks, It's very early, but I'm getting 2018-19 vibes. Am I just overly excited by recent success or are there similarities? Well, uh, I do think you are, you're hitting on something. Ennis Cantor playing well for the, for a injured Blazers team has a real 2018, 19 vibes, doesn't it? Um, the similar, this isn't super similar because the strength of that team was that it was incredibly deep. Now, when the Blazers are healthy again, if Nurk and, and CJ come back, I think you're sort of right on track. But the strength of that 2018, 19 squad was that they had a solid starting group with Dame, CJ, Mo, uh, Aminu, and, and then eventually Ennis. But then off the bench, they had Rodney Hood and they had Seth Curry, who's who's a really underrated, solid role player. They had Zach Collins so they could have some defensive versatility. They had the size and shooting of Myers Leonard in case they needed to crack the crack the glass on that. Like they... That that team was more talented than this team and deeper. And that was the strength of that team was was its depth. I mean, before Nurk got hurt, they were rolling. They were a really, really, really good team. Um, and then they ended up, you know, being a, also a really good team. I think they were pretty clearly the third best team in the West, um, even the, making the Western Conference Finals, but they didn't have to play the Rockets, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I don't, I think un, undeniably the third best team in the West that year, arguably the second best team in the West. Um, certainly not the first because they got rolled in the Western Conference Finals. But um I, I I can see Tanner how you're getting the vibes, but I don't think there's other than other than Ennis saving the day. I don't think there's uh, I don't think there's heavy heavy similarities yet. But we might get there. We might when you know middle of March, Nurk and CJ are back. Let's let's talk about it. Next question comes from Ian, who asks, "Why did Terry not trust Dame when he asked to review on his fifth foul? This was on Monday night. Uh, the blade." Uh, Damian Lillard was called for a reach-in foul on Luka Doncic late in the game. Terry Stotts chose not to review. Ian continues. I remember several times hearing broadcast reports about Terry trusting his guys when it comes to reviews. Seems weird to say he was saving it at this point as well because we threw it away on a clear foul on a possession or two later. Based on how the game turned out, it didn't end up being crucial, but it seemed like a clear mistake. Has Stotts changed his policy on when to review? So Terry addressed this in the post-game interview. I believe it was Aaron Fentress of the Oregonian asked him about it after the game. I think it was Fentress. If it wasn't, I apologize to the reporter that asked. I wish I could give you credit. But um, 
basically Terry said that his view on that is that if he did get to see a replay in, in arena and if there's any contact on a foul, he knows that they're going to call it. Um, so he doesn't, he doesn't want to risk it because he wants it to be, you know, he wants it to be a beneficial review and that he does trust his guys. But if, you know, I think what Dame's objection was, it shouldn't have been called a foul in the first place. And I agree with him. I think it was a weak foul call, but once they called it and you look back, Dame hit him on the arm. It was obvious. It was going to be, it was going to be confirmed a foul. It was going to be a waste. That said, literally the exact same thing happened on the following defensive possession when uh, Harry Giles got somebody inside. I I'm, I'm, can't remember off the top of my head now, but it was an obvious foul on the replay and Stott still challenged it. So his, his logic didn't exactly carry over, but what he basically, I think at that point, maybe he didn't get to see a replay and didn't know, but the idea was that you challenge it when you have, he wanted to wait until he challenged it to not challenge that call because he, he wanted to wait for one uh, that he felt like he had a clear chance to review. Of course he didn't, he ended up, he ended up wasting it. So his logic kind of gets, Logic gets a little murky pretty quickly when you play it out. Next question comes from Jonathan, who sent a couple trade ideas, first asking about Tobias Harris, but then admitted that he didn't really like, Jonathan didn't really care for the Tobias Harris trade. So uh, Jonathan moved on and said, what about Gordon Hayward? Would the Hornets be interested in CJ and Zach and a first? So I think the Hornets might be interested because CJ and Gordon Hayward, same kind of timeline, same kind of salary. Um, CJ is probably better than Gordon Hayward, but here's the problem. The, the Hornets have a ton of guards. They have Terry Rozier. They have uh, Devontae Graham. They have uh, LaMelo Ball. They, I guess they still have Malik Monk, even though he only plays once every two weeks. So I don't think adding CJ to that mix is exactly the plan in exchange for Gordon Hayward, but... And I and I I'm not a big Gordon Hayward guy to be quite honest, but I do think, I do think the sort of Tobias Harris Gordon Hayward like you're on the right track with what I would want for the Blazers. I don't know who it is that I want. Like I, I guess it's Chris Middleton or whatever, but he's probably too good to straight up swap for CJ. Uh, but but like a big a big forward who can handle the ball. That's that's what I think the Blazers want is a a, a big forward. You know oh north of 6'7", who can handle the ball and get his own offense. Now that's what every team wants. Um, I think Gordon Hayward would really help the Blazers. I don't love this particular trade, um, but I'm not I'm not like wholeheartedly against it. I just um, Gordon Hayward's not my Huckleberry. I'm not sure the Hornets would agree to it though. So I think you um, I think you're hitting a snag somewhere in there on the trade call. Hit up MJ. Maybe you can um, send him Nazir Little since he went to UNC, and that'll uh, that'll change his mind. Next question comes from Lance J Lewis. At LJ Lou on Twitter, who asks, does Dame complain too much to officials? He's getting hacks, but the more he complains, the fewer calls he seems to get. So I I do not agree with the second part. Um, I think that's recency bias because he got maybe a, a pretty shitty whistle against the Mavericks uh, with Scott Foster on the call. But in general, I think Damian Lord complains and it's he's relatively successful. Like he'll say, hey, he's hitting me on the drive and he'll get the call. Um I think the Mavericks game was a bad example because I think he did get I don't I don't think like the whistle really affected him but I think Dame got he got hit in the head once he got that hand check call which was just like Scott Foster kind of in, like pushing himself into the into the game unnecessarily he said get your hand off him and then called the foul and then there was not a hand check called for the rest of the game so it was a very a very strange um strange moment he gave Dame a technical foul when Dame was complaining to another referee and Dame literally turned around to his and said I'm not talking to you and Scott Foster still gave him a tech which is pretty incredible um that's just Scott Foster being scott foster uh he's he's a guy who um 
puts his stamp on games, puts his mark on games. Uh, in general, though, I think I think Dame complaining is 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 successful because it's he doesn't complain too much. It's what superstars have to do. Um, it's it's kind of an annoying part of the NBA, but you got to complain. You got to just you. If you are the level of player that Dame is, you have to stick up for your guys. You have to stick up for yourself. You have to just, you have to get on officials to watch this. Hey, I'm going to go left. I'm getting the, I'm getting into his body and he's coming down and hitting me on the arm, hitting me on the head. You got to watch it. All superstars do it. Damian Lord is in the category. He's got to do it too. Uh, I, it's, it's not like aesthetically pleasing to watch your favorite player whine about stuff but uh that's the job all right our next question comes from jonathan sass at j sassy on twitter maybe sass i'm i'm really mixing it up jonathan give me a pronunciation guide shoot me shoot me a tweet and give me a pronunciation guide in your last name jonathan asks i really like watching Derek jones jr play he hustles like crazy and reminds me of jerome kersey with that said i honestly can't tell if he's producing enough to justify starting at three going forward if he is he nece- a necessary cog in the starting five or just a function of Stotts' sticky lineups so i've been a proponent of move Derek jones jr to the bench I was in favor of starting Rodney Hood just because I thought the bench unit was so bad on defense that you needed to do add a little bit of defending in there. Um, I would be in favor of giving Gary Trent Jr. A, a look in that starting group because the future of the team is, there's a huge question. Can can Gary play next to Damon CJ? But uh, I'm, I'm not a big Derek Jones Jr. guy. I think he's negative on offense. Like I don't, I think he gives me heavy, heavy, late, late Blazers career Aminu vibes where people, when the games get tight, they're just not going to guard him and he's not going to be able to do anything about it because he, he doesn't have a tight enough handle. Um, he tries crazy dunks, but he doesn't finish them and he just cannot shoot. He's under 30% from three on the year. Uh, it's, I think he's, I think he's good enough on defense that he deserves to play. That Blazers need his length. Um, he's by some advanced metrics is a very, very good defensive player. So uh, shout out to five thirty eight dot com. They think their their uh, Raptor score thinks that Derek Jones Jr. is an excellent defensive player. It's probably better than what I would say with my eye test. But uh, I'm I think I think yes, it's a function of Stotts' sticky lineups. But I also think it's a function of what the roster wants to do. They really want to play Derek Jones and Covington together because they really want those guys to guard uh, pick and rolls and be able to switch. Uh, so while I would I would be open to experimenting, you can just experiment with those lineups later in the game. Like it doesn't matter who plays the first six minutes necessarily. Um, but he's to me he's not like so so productive on defense that he absolutely deserves a chance to to start right like you could mix and match he deserves to be in the rotation he's certainly one of their best nine players without a doubt but um the idea that he's like significantly a more valuable defender with his length than Gary Trent Jr when factoring in what how good Gary is on offense i'm i'm not quite buying that next question the last one of the show comes from Mason who asks you say you're not a fan of the Blazers but but are a fan of the North Carolina Tar Heels. I am. I'm a Chapel Hill native. I grew up walking to Carolina basketball games all of my childhood. Have you ever considered making a podcast of your own outside of Locked On? You know, shout out to Candace Cooper, host of Locked On Tar Heels right here on the network. Make sure you check that out if um, if you care about Carolina basketball. Um, I'd be curious to hear what the fan version of Mike G. Rich sounds like, or perhaps you just like leaving fandom as fandom, which I respect. Yeah, so I think one of the big things about covering sports as a for a living when I did this as a full-time job was that it, it, it really it took away all of my love for sports not it took away it reduced my ability to emotionally connect to 
sports because it was a job. I was something I had to go to and think about and whatever provided my health insurance and things like that. Like I, it, ask anyone who has been a fan of a team and then and then started to cover it it is hard to maintain a level of fandom uh it's a little different if you're employed by the team i think like if you're if you work for the trailblazers but uh a friend of mine tim cato who covers the athletic for uh covers the dallas mavericks for the athletic he has said that he grew up a lifelong mavs fan he ran the sb nation fan website um for the Mavericks. And then he started to cover them full time for the athletic and his fandom has totally, totally diminished, has totally atrophied. It's just, it is, there is something about doing it as a job that makes you not be able to love it the same way. And I, I want to always love Carolina basketball. So I don't want it to make it a job. I don't want to turn it into content. Uh, how it would sound is that I would use the, I would use the L word more. I'd say, I love this dude. I love his game. I love that they did that. Um, I'm still skeptical. Like I don't, I'm, that's just like kind of who I am as a person. So sort of the skepticism, the pessimism would still come through, but, um, in a way that I, I love watching Caleb Love get better. I'm using the Caleb Love as an example. I love watching RJ Davis and Dayron Sharp get better at UNC. I don't love uh, the Blazers like that. I'm just like intrigued by the growth. Gary Trent Jr. intrigues me. Anthony Simons intrigues me, but I don't like, I don't have this sort of emotional connection to them improving the way I do with Carolina guys. And I don't want to make that into content because I want to keep that emotional connection. There are so few things in this life that you can really enjoy. And I want to cling tightly to those that I do. That's going to do it for this edition of Mailbag Monday. If you did not hear your question, do not fret. A special delivery mailbag episode is coming later this week, so make sure to check your feeds. I'll label it as mailbag. You'll know. You'll see it. Make sure you listen. Make sure you listen to all the episodes, but if you're specifically looking for your question that wasn't answered in the show, it'll be coming in a special delivery mailbag later this week. If you want to get involved in future mailbag episodes, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or send me an email, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. And tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.